Hannah Brown. Chris McLeish here, episode number 36. Uh, what stories did we pick? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't have one prepared this week. You were doing so well. Well, I've just really taken to the childlike poems. I just enjoy writing <laughs> silly little rhymes. And so I'm kind of in the zone. But I am maybe not in the zone today. That's quite all right. We shall allow you an off day because you've given us at least four weeks of top tier rhyming content. Solid rhymage. Thank you very much. I'm appreciative of it. <laughs> no worries. Well, how blinking are you? I am good. I'm all right. Muddling along. That's as much as I can say at the present moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. Um, things are happening. Stuff's stuff's going on. And it's kind of, is it good? Is it bad? Who knows? We'll find out. Exactly. That's the thing. Who can tell what the future holds at the minute? <laughs> I'm sure there'll there's friends out there that will understand what we're talking about. Absolutely. There, yes, wink, wink to all those friends that we work with. Yeah. That This was a kind of side note. Yes. To do with COVID. But did we speak about this last week? That there are 2,000 cases in Scotland that are attributed to people travelling to London for football. We didn't talk about this last week. Would you like to elaborate on this point? Because I have a feeling that you have feelings. <laughs> I have a lot of feelings. I have feelings so, on first the other too. But on you go. Yes. Well, the floor is yours. First of all, one of my biggest issues with football is that I hate it. I've made this clear in the past. Indeed. Then we have the issue of our jobs require us to interact with other people. I... I'm in a choir, I sing in shows, and I am not allowed to sing around other people. And that's frustrating because it's literally what I do all the time. And that's not allowed. But then footballers can go to a football game and sing their little heads off. They can sing on the plane, on the train, while they're at the game, whatever. Then we get a massive increase of cases of COVID because of the football that I have always believed shouldn't have been going ahead anyway. Yes, the atmosphere and the, the outlet of having, of the thing that you love, like that's, that's all important, but there are still people who literally can't get access to the thing that they have as their outlet because it's not allowed to attend to it. You're not allowed to go to it. You're not allowed to participate. And so the fact that there's now 2000 people in Scotland alone that have COVID because of the football. It makes me so mad. Yep. So mad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have been, I read this article about that about a week ago and I'm yeah. still so mad about it because yeah. my grudge against football has always existed. And, it's only and now I'm just kind of like, it. you've just yeah. further backed up why I think it's the stupidest <laughs> thing in the world. I really hate it, I honestly. Yeah. It is incredibly frustrating, um, particularly, funnily enough, today I was reading I, I, on Twitter, I try and stay away from Twitter, but I was looking at it this morning, and there's a West End actor that I follow um, who was talking about, so recent when this podcast goes out, went out, um, a couple of shows down the West End have actually had to close for 10 days because... Uh, what uh, someone part of the company has tested positive and the other one someone was pinged to say you have been identified as a close contact kind of thing so those two shows have had to shut down in their entirety for the self-isolation period which is following government mandates which is good <laughs> we don't want to break the law but this actor was also saying that the Scottish player that tested positive would have been in close... I think he, the point he was making was why wasn't his teammates identified as close contact? Because they would have been in some mm -hmm. regard. Um, why was there 60,000 people allowed into Wembley? And why is Wimbledon playing at full capacity with the roof shut? So it's technically not outside sport. And he was saying... Mm -hmm. But theatres have had to cancel 
like what 10 days worth of shows there's such a double stand there is a double standard and you can't say there's there not absolutely because there is <laughs> and yeah, it's perfectly it's evident straight up fact uh and i have also read articles that something like theater contributes something like three times the amount of money that sport does I could easily believe that. I don't know if it was football specifically or if it was just sport in general. So some people could argue that, well, it brings in so much money and therefore it would be a shame for it not to go ahead because it's good for the economy. But theatre brings in more. So, and that's just a fact. It's incredibly, incredibly frustrating now. And it does feel like it is getting to the point now. But I feel like it all, it comes back down to this whole, like, well, not to generalise, but rich men with lots of money um, yep. <laughs> running big corporations which in a way is a little bit like theatre because there's a lot of them in theatre yeah, too yeah it is but it is yeah but yeah in this instance and when you when there is a spike caused by that are, are we surprised? probably not but it is I'm not surprised <laughs> in the slightest but it is very very frustrating and it's embarrassing yeah I understand that Scotland fans descending upon Leicester Square was not great. It's not good at all. And sh really shouldn't have been permitted. And, but anyway, that's a whole other topic. But the day that they did, oh, this is really petty nonsense that I'm going to come out with now. <laughs> but, Do it. But here we are. I love it. But there was a certain actress that's currently working down in London and I happened to see a tweet by said person and and I under I understand their frustrations with they being unable to perform at full capacity in their theatres and have a bunch of Scotland fans descend upon I get it it's a double standard it's what we're frustrated about what I didn't appreciate though and what I really wanted to tweet back was well, Hen, at least your theatres can open at all. <laughs> true, very true. At least you're working at all, because <laughs> we're still yeah. we're still way behind in that front. We're getting there, but we're still way, way, way behind in terms of getting our indoor venues open. Yeah, for sure, um, for sure. And that was just a teeny, teeny, tiny little petty part of me that was very annoyed with that. Because <laughs> I could understand... It's very annoyed if the frustration it, I, th I assume we're thinking of the same person and if that is the case then it's very easy to feel annoyed by her well exactly indeed cheers because i'm sure yeah. it is the same person cheers shall we get back on track and ask a question let's just ask a question let's just do it <laughs> we're so oh uh, off the rails we're so off the rails okay this might be difficult might be easy okay. so Tell us an unusual slash less known fact about Scotland or Scottish culture. Oh. I don't know. I, I mean, I think I've kind of got one. Maybe. Okay. And I don't think it's maybe like Firing. less known or an obscure one, but something I, very I find very fascinating about historic Scottish culture and to an extent today's is mm -hmm. the use of music in people's daily lives. Yeah, because true. Because quite a lot of our folk music, or what is now deemed to be folk music, stems from everyday tasks. So we have stuff like yeah. walking songs, mm -hmm. which, if you've never heard, is generally women singing it, and it's a kind of call and response song and you'll also hear always hear like a rhythmic drumming in the back of it and that's because yeah. absolutely yeah <laughs> that's an excellent no one can see what <laughs> no i'm doing can see it, but that is exactly what they would do <laughs> um so yeah the women would walk wool basically that's what it's called don't really know what it does to the wool, but that's what they do. When basically, they'd be beating it on a table and they would use the song to make sure everybody stays in time. 
yeah. which I find absolutely fascinating. And then you also have stuff like the bagpipes, which now everybody just thinks it's what we Scots jig about to wearing tartan, because that's what we totally do up here. But again, yeah. pipes were very prevalent in battle. Yeah. Right up until like, I would probably say 20th century, like First World War, etc. I mean, mind that story I told where there was the piper who played the pipes to signal that someone was coming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, was that the one where they put him in a barrel, threw him out the window? Yeah, that might be that one. That was a good one. Oh, we've told so many stories, <laughs> I've started to lose track. <laughs> we are 36 episodes in, dear. This is true. That's loud. But yeah, because pipes are quite violent instruments. <laughs> yeah. Because... Now, let's be honest here. See, when you hear a bagpipe, right? Of course, you get that wee bit of pride because you're like, yes, that's that's Scottish. But tell me when you hear a wee reel played on a bagpipe, you don't want to glass somebody over the head with a beer glass. Uh, <laughs> I can't say it's my natural instinct, actually. I think... <laughs> Certain music played in the bagpipes makes you instinctively want to have a fight. Okay, okay. So maybe it comes, maybe it comes from that battle thing. Maybe I was a Jacobite in my previous life. Maybe <laughs> I feel like I was, I was probably one of these walking women in a past life. Yeah, because you knew exactly what that was all about there. Yeah, I did. Yeah, this. that um, that thing. For anyone who can't see me, which is everyone apart from Hannah. <laughs> Uh, that I look like I'm pushing a very small buggy. Yes. To and fro. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. I think my love of Kaylee dancing probably overrides all other basic instincts. That is fair. You are an avid Kayleer at the end of the day. I love a Kaylee. And so I hear Kaylee music and I immediately want to, I do immediately want to do a jig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what uh, you're supposed but to. But that's just me. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the na- that's the 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 thing we hope will happen. Yeah. <laughs> but I I mean maybe the prevalence of knife crime and glassings over the head come from hearing a bagpipe in the distance. Maybe maybe that's what it's all about. That's what we're looking for. But yeah, it's very interesting if you look at what's now perceived to be Scottish folk music. Is a lot of it actually did stem from everyday stuff yeah which is very very cool i'm sure that's the same in quite a lot of cultures but it's very interesting it's quite wholesome and just kind of there's probably plenty of cultures that don't have that kind of thing because those cultures are quite modern but yeah. it feels it feels very historical if you know yeah what I mean. it makes us feel old <laughs> and so many of our folk stories which is kind of prevalent to what I'm talking about today kind of but um is told through song or told through airs because that was that was just the thing music has always been very very prevalent and I've realized this is actually quite apt to what we were talking about at the start of this episode as well (laughs) god we're all over the place this week anyway well this isn't really an unknown fact okay but it's a fact that I feel like a lot, a lot of people who aren't from Scotland may not actually know this. Okay. That our national animal is a unicorn. It's an excellent fact. And yeah, a lot of people might think we're taking the mick, but we are not. <laughs> we are not. There are only a handful of countries in the world that have mythical creatures as their national animals. Mm-hmm. And we are one of them. I think it kind of it adds to the magic of Scotland a little bit. Yeah. I think, I mean, we, yes, we have cities and yes, we have all that kind of stuff, but we are still an overwhelmingly natural country. Yeah. As a whole, Scotland is still mountains and forests and yeah, exactly. woodlands and, and streams and all that kind of stuff. And the fact that we then have a unicorn, it makes, it makes me feel like Scotland is so mythical and mm-hmm. magical. That's part of its charm, yeah. that I, which I really appreciate. And also, I looked it up just to have Mm -hmm. a a bonus fact. Fantastic. So the unicorn is on the Scottish coat of arms, and it's normally depicted bound by golden chains. The unicorn is believed, historically, to be the strongest of all animals, and it was wild and untamed, and that it could only be humbled by a virgin maiden. Oh, 
<laughs> yeah. Who knew? So I didn't know that. And that's one thing I've just learned. But I've also wondered, because I've noticed the chains before, I've sometimes thought that that was a reference to essentially being an English colony. Yep. And that we are It would check out. Yeah, we're bound to the UK. So is it not that? <laughs> is it not that? Um, maybe, maybe visit Scotland is trying not to get political. I um, mean, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but that is to me. There's also, I'm sure, there's something. There's not a story somewhere about the battle between the English lion and the Scottish unicorn. There was. Like I think. A... I think you're right somewhere in saying that. Yes. I feel like the unicorn should have a name. Steve. Steve. Steve the Scottish yeah. unicorn. Steve the Scottish Unicorn. <laughs> Unicorns potentially appeared in the Bible. Who knew? So it says, even the Bible makes a record of an animal called the Reem, Re which is later associated with the unicorn. Oh. Oh, God, this is a longer article than I expected. Um, <laughs> okay, so yes, the use of the unicorn alongside the Lion of England is very symbolic, not just its representation of two nations brought together by a union of crowns, but also because the two animals have long had a legendary status as natural enemies. 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 <laughs> so. <laughs> I did not know that. How exciting. But it does say, it says this, the gold chains restraining the unicorn. That feels very political to me. It does. Yes. Yeah. In the present circumstances, it does a bit now. <laughs> yeah. Although it could actually be referenced here, it says that that may be a reference to the power Scottish kings had, that they ev that Scottish kings had the capabilities ah. of taming a, a unicorn. Anyways, my fun fact essentially <laughs> was that the unicorn is the Scottish national animal, but there's so much history in that as to why that may be. Mm -hmm. And I thoroughly enjoy that. I need to look into that a bit more. I mean, I do yeah. enjoy I do enjoy that. It's the same way whales have the dragon. Yes. We do yeah. like we do like a, a magical animal in these kind of like celtic -y countries. Yeah, we do. We just, we don't want to be boring and have a stoat or a, 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 a piglet. A stoat. Oh. I mean, that is cute. Also, stoat's an, an excellent Scottish colloquialism. Oh, is it? <laughs> have you never heard the saying if you're stoting oh i see oh yes of course i have yes 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 i thought you meant that a stoat had an actual no. name that we don't no. use we've got our own word for it okay no i'm just meaning we we have taken the animal's name to mean something else in our yeah <laughs> our daily so if you're stoting about you're kind of you're kind of hobbling about kind of absolutely on your legs. yeah and you Love can also that. you can also um Replace the word drunk with stoat. Are we stoating? Yeah, stoat. He's a stoater. We like unicorns. We like folk <laughs> music. We and do. we have combined the two. <laughs> I particularly enjoy folk music sung by a unicorn. Exactly. They do have rather lovely voices with their swishy. They do. Their swishy mane and tail. Yeah. I've Which... now just got an image of a unicorn sitting across a grand piano with a with a microphone in its hoofs. <laughs> in its hooves. They could wrap they could wrap the cord round their their horn and have oh. it draped in front of them. <laughs> oh wow, we are so not on this planet today. <laughs> yeah, we are on Polito. And but we'll we're keeping it together we in time for story time. Absolutely. And I believe you yes, you be first. Am I? What did I do last week? Oh yeah. The poop the poop loch. The Poop Floch, which was a fan favourite, I must say. I had a couple of people say to me they enjoyed that one. Oh, that's good. Thank you. So there you go. I feel like a lot of people just didn't know that Princess Gardens used to be a literal cesspit. Exactly. So just watch yourself when you're sitting in that grass, pals. You oh, never yeah. know what's still lurking bum, under there. <laughs> getting a wet bum, you're sucking up old poop juice. Oh, uh, a phrase. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a phrase. I hate it. I hate it. Oh, Although the God. garden is the garden is as lush as it is because of the excellent fertilizer. Well, that's true. That's true. Nature wins out after all. I today I'm going to tell you what I have heard called Fife's 
only unsolved murder case. <gasps> mm-hmm. I'm intrigued. It has been cold as a cucumber since 1991. Oh, okay. The year I was born. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. I was born in 1991. Aww. 30 years ago, Sandy Drummond's behaviour drastically changed from the carefree labourer to a deeply troubled young man. Just a few months later, he would be found dead just yards away from his home. With no clear injuries and no suspects having ever been identified, the truth behind Sandy's death in Boar's Hills near St Andrews is still unknown after all this time. Oh. Sandy, born Alexander Drummond, was an old-fashioned working-class lad dead set on constantly learning and getting a good education. From a very young age, he showed a keenness to work as an engineer and decided the best pathway to lead him to such a career was via an army apprenticeship. So he joined the Black Watch, spending a large portion of his three-year army career in Ulster during the Troubles in Northern Ireland. Or as I like to say, Nornarn. After leaving the service... (laughs) Is that offensive? I don't think so, because my family... (laughs) If you go back a couple of generations. Well, very few people can do a Scottish accent. So I feel like you're only reciprocating in kind, aren't you? This is true. I'm so used to it. You're so used to it. I'm serving what we are served. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Do I know what I mean? No. After leaving the service, Sandy moved back to live with his brother James on Fallside Farm in Boar Hills near St Andrews and found a job at the Guardbridge paper mill where he was regarded as a good worker. In his life, Sandy was often deemed quiet, intelligent, a bit of a loner, a man with few friends, but equally and perhaps more importantly, a man with no enemies. Okay. Sandy was a kind man. He would stay at the family home and care for his dad who suffered from Alzheimer's while his mum took a well-deserved break. And he would often pay for her to actually go on trips to get away for a little while. So he was very generous. And on one occasion, he donated an entire week's wages to cancer research. So he was a generous man. Very sweet. His uh, charity donations were a regular thing as well. He did that quite a lot. His mother, Effie, described him as a carefree countryman. However... Leading up to the case at hand, Sandy's mood changed dramatically over a couple of months and he became increasingly worried and contemplative. 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 If he could see, you know the word I'm trying to say, but I'm just not quite sure. Effie could see that he was becoming more and more troubled, but no matter how hard she pressed, he would not open up and admit what was going on with him. Effie believed that although he point-blank refused to tell her what was amiss, it must be something to do with his job as things seemed to start going wrong for Sandy as soon as he was transferred to a new department within the paper mill. Even after he transferred again and became a labourer, nothing changed. His mood remained a bit strange. On Thursday, June 20th, Sandy told managers at the mill that he was leaving and had no intention of working his notice period. Even though they lived together, he did not tell his brother that he had left work until the Sunday, at which time he said he simply wanted a break and might go away on his bike for a while. He had a motorbike. Okay. The quick departure from his job of seven years with absolutely no other work to speak of wasn't the only strange thing going on in Sandy's life leading up to his death. He was also seen on CCTV visiting numerous building societies around St Andrews over the course of a few days where he withdrew a large chunk of his life savings, which he then stuffed into a large duffel bag. Hmm. On the Sunday, Sandy visited his parents who lived just a mile down the road from his cottage for lunch and he appeared to be more like his old smiley self. By this point, obviously having left his job. Yes. As he rode off on his motorbike, waved to his mum from the end of the road with the promise of returning the following day for dinner, still lingering in the air, no one could have guessed that that would be the last time they would see him alive. Okay. 
Monday, June 24th, 1991, he told his brother that he was setting off to travel. Jimmy left for work himself that Monday morning and he said goodbye, unaware that this was the final time that they would speak. Minutes after his brother left for work on June, in, on June 24th, witnesses saw Sandy dashing out of his house over the road to the fields across the way with a blue sports bag in hand. By 8pm that same day, an elderly walker made the, the devastating discovery. Sandy was found dead face down in the grass on a farm track leading to his cottage with his arms underneath him and his legs straight out. The positioning led the police to believe that Sandy had collapsed clutching his stomach. He was just a few hundred yards away from his, his front door and there was absolutely no sign of the blue sports bag. Hmm. When the police first arrived, suspicion arose over the position of the body and it was thought Sandy may have died somewhere else and was then dumped on the overgrown track. Mm -hmm. However, there was no sign of injury or violence and it was quickly decided by the police that he had died of natural causes. One would presume that. One would presume. Though there were no outwardly physical signs to suggest murder, subsequent medical examinations found that Sandy had died from asphyxiation. With extensive damage to his neck, and specifically the muscles of his neck, indicating strangulation. So although there was no outwardly signs, internally, damage galore. Oh, that's bizarre. Mm-hmm. Because do you not generally see some kind of bruising or something? You'd think. You'd <gasps> think. Very strange. Oh. Despite the absence of any physical markings on Sandy's neck, the pathologist had a more unique suggestion for the cause of death. A painful martial arts move. They believed that Sandy was killed using a jiu-jitsu stranglehold, where a, the key arteries and jugular veins are constricted, which cut off the blood flow to the brain subsequently killing the person it is being done to okay i did not see this story going this way <laughs> yes very strange wow now that really is yeah. quite unusual yeah in faith in faith <laughs> wow also quick side note i didn't realize that fife was like a full county i thought fife was a part was just a place but it's a full county where yes. St Andrews is there so I kept being like why are they talking about St Andrews we're in Fife <laughs> is this not called the kingdom of Fife yeah <laughs> I've never known that <laughs> I mean that's fair though <laughs> fair. I had to learn it by a good old Google uh -huh. when I was confused in the story <laughs> so this the use of this jiu-jitsu stranglehold would explain the absence of any fingerprints or nail markings on Sandy's neck because it completely limits the use of the killer's hands. I think it's all all the elbow. arm. That's all weenus. The weenus oh, does the damage. That's nasty. Nasty, nasty. While the strange behaviours leading up to his death would be an obvious place to start. Sandy had no known enemies and was personally not known to the police. The savings he had withdrawn in the days prior was, were recovered within the home during the investigation, which rules out robbery as a motive, and of course raises the question, what was in the bag? What the hell? So you'd think he was oh, running away with his bag to maybe yeah. hide his money or something like that, but the money was in the house. So we don't know what was inside the duffel bag. <gasps> Oh. Yeah. Around 4pm of the day of his death, a man matching Sandy's description was spotted jogging along the road and three quarters of an hour later, two men were seen in the living room of Sandy's house through the window, while a rusty orange coloured car was parked outside. Some reports even suggest that the car was outside the house twice on the day of the murder. However, it is still a mystery who was visiting. A further mystery is that at 2.30pm the same afternoon, a man was seen catching a bus from near Sandy's cottage that caught the eye of onlookers due to the blood-stained bandage around his hand. However, 
The injured passenger never came forward and police still don't know who this person was. This is very strange. Yes. This is all very Fife. odd. Come on, Fife. <laughs> God. Sandy or somebody who looked very similar to him was seen again at Boar Hills around 7pm. At 7.15pm, a red hatchback car was seen reversing at the farm road where Sandy was found 45 minutes later. Around the same time, two men leaped out of a silver Renault 5 or Volkswagen at a bridge near where Sandy lay. They jumped over a wall and ran in the direction of the farm track. Again, nobody knows who these people are. I mean, jumping over a wall's always a bit suspicious. Always suspicious. <laughs> always suspicious. Yeah, if you're, get, if you're jumping out a car and jumping over anything, people yeah. are going to think, this is strange behavior. That's weird. <laughs> Speaking of, I had Thea at a park the other day and she was desperate for a wee. So I ran her back to the car to let her use the potty. And I swear there were so many people looked at me as if I was stealing Thea. <laughs> Because I had picked her up and I was like dashing along the road and there was this one one mum walked past me with her buggy and she kind of looked at me as if I was kidnapping her. Friggin' child catcher. Yeah, I was like, she needs a wee, she needs a pee-pee in the potty. So, um, that's what we were doing. Oh God. Oh, Jesus. The suspicious car, the lost holdall hidden in the countryside and the bloodied bus passenger all failed to generate any leads. And the investigation very quickly ran cold. Following the death of the 33-year-old, the family were stunned and confused. None of it made any sense, and each of the suspicious events leading up to his death seemed wildly out of character. Effie, the mum, was understandably devastated, but with that suffering, she became determined to get answers for her son. So she campaigned ferociously to get answers even managing to secure a fatal accident inquiry into his death, which took place in Cooper in, on, in September 1992. The fatal accident inquiry found that Sandy's last months had been made hell by men that he worked with at the paper mill, and the night before he died, he had written down their names. Oh. Nothing more came up in my research about this inquest. That's very strange. It's almost like leaving a note to say, look at these people. If something happens to me, these are the people you need to look at. Really strange. Really, really strange. After his death, Effie said, quote, he spent all that time in Northern Ireland only to be murdered back home by fellow fifers. Her theory was that he had been persecuted or blackmailed. Effie, who had known the post-mortem results just days after he died, was justifiably angry. And she said, quote, if I had known it was murder from day three, then so should the police. I mean, speaking, I mean, it's true. It's fair. true. <laughs> speaking in 1993, Effie said life after the death of her son was agony. Quote, the strain made me feel a thousand years old. The longing to touch him and see him smile is unbearable. Sandy was the best son a mother could have. Oh, poor Effie. And sadly, the deeply tortured Effie passed away without ever finding out the truth. Oh, what a shame. Oh, God. Yeah, just a few years after as well. She she died in the 90s. Mm. People in the area around St Andrews believe that Effie's death was hastened by the torture of not knowing why her beloved son, Sandy, had been murdered. And her grief was greater because she had always believed someone had killed him, even though it took the police several months to reach that conclusion. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, vital forensic evidence at the scene was swept away by weather and time. Kind of reducing the chances that once the police made the decision it was murder, they they weren't going to have any chance. In 1998, appeals for information on Sandy's killing would be aired across the country as the events were recreated on Crime Watch. The appeal featured information that had previously never been released, such as the car seen by witnesses at the time, But despite the national appeal, officers were still no further forward in identifying a suspect and closing the case. In 2016, there was an article about the case 25 years on. And not long after that, there was another article saying that the police were encouraged by the public response following. Detective Chief of Inspector Maxine Martin said that she firmly believes the case will be solved using information that lives within the community. 
Also in 2016, an investigative journalist called Michael Mulford claimed police had identified the killer. He claimed that police had identified what they considered to be a prime suspect during a cold case review of the case. He said the suspect identified by the police is also deceased and he believes the case was being kept open in case they can trace any accomplices. However, as of now, July 2021, there is no more update. Oh. So we still don't really know. Still don't. But we are left. Mm. We are left with many questions. First of all, (laughs) who were the men that made Sandy's life misery at the paper mill? Mm -hmm. Who were the men inside the house why did Sandy withdraw all of his savings from his accounts? If the money was found inside the house, then what was in the duffel bag he was seen with? Mm-hmm. Who were the owners of the red car seen reversing into the farm track? And who owned the silver car, uh, which two men then leapt out of? What was the secret that had made Sandy so upset for months? And finally, who killed him and why? And that is the unsolved case of Sandy Drummond. McLeish, that's too many questions to leave us with here. <laughs> and I do apologise, I have no answers. Uh, I, there's oh. nothing written about this case since 2016 publicly. So I don't know what's going on with it. I don't know if it's still open. But um, yeah, there's still a lot left unanswered. That. I've I've never heard of that case before. Yeah, same. Ne- until, never heard of it. Until I did a little unsolved murder deep dive, I've yeah. never heard any of this before. But um, that is a very, very bizarre one. And it's almost like one that doesn't have any kind of motive. Totally, totally. It's like, but it's the fact that you're saying that he had a bag that was allegedly with money, but the money was found. So where's the bag and why was it taken? Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah. Very strange. Very strange. And also that is one method of murder that I don't think I've ever come across before. No, it's... I think my understanding is it's you go behind the person and it's one of these where you put your arm around their Uh neck and then you kind of grip onto your own wrist and oh. squeeze. Um, that's purely based on Google image searches of jujitsu strangleholds. That's nice that you followed up your research with reference images. <laughs> yeah, I needed to know. I was like, what is know. a jujitsu stranglehold? <laughs> but I also, it's strange that that doesn't leave any bruising. See, yeah, that is very, very bizarre. But also, if they hadn't thought to do a post-mortem round his neck as far up as his neck mm-hmm. w- would they have come across that it feels it very much feels like something that's designed to be hidden do you know what i mean yeah, absolutely. like it's a method of killing that you're not supposed to see any evidence of yeah totally but like poison in that respect um, uh, that, it's so, just yeah. very strange that's very very bizarre and yeah that's just so weird there's almost some there's something really kind of like I don't know, almost kind of, not supernatural, but there's just that kind of unknown element yeah, it's, to it. It's, I feel unsolved things, in a way, are so much scarier than stuff we know the fact of. Yeah, exactly. Because there's nothing more frustrating than not knowing the answer to something. Well, yes. <laughs> and particularly when it comes to things like this, where it destroyed his family's life, or at least his mum's life. Yeah, and he's poor mum. He's poor mum. Uh, but it's just so frustrating to not be able to Google it and be like, oh, that's what happened, cool. Yeah. It's so very, very strange. And it's, it's only very, 30 very years ago. So whoever did it could mm-hmm. fully still be alive. Yeah, that's true. Or any accomplices could be fully alive. Yeah. It's and very, they did, very weird. They did do extensive interviews with people he worked with. So I assume they probably mm-hmm. followed up on the names that he'd written down. And also people that he worked with in the Black Watch. But nothing ever came out of it. Hmm. How very odd. Yeah. That's very unusual. Well, if there's anybody out there that loves a cold case and happens to solve it. Yeah, get get a sniffing. Pop up to that place. That that huge place, Fife, that I didn't realise was so blinking huge. 
I like how out of that entirety of the story, that's one of the takeaways you're gonna you're gonna have from it. Yeah, Fife isn't. <laughs> I mean, I I grew up with people living in Kirkcaldy, and I never really registered Kirkcaldy was in Fife. I was like, oh, Kirkcaldy is near Fife. Yeah, nope, it is Fife. It is Fife. <laughs> Who knew? That's wild. Do you want me to just start with time then? Fire in. <laughs> I have nothing more to say because I have no answers, and it's very frustrating. Oh, God help me. But this week, we are going to be talking Scottish poetry. Oh, some of mine? Yes. What's some of my poetry? <laughs> it's not some of yours, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. One week, one week it will. Okay. But this week, we are going to be having a look at the tale of Tam O'Shanter. <gasps> Big old Tam. I love this poem. Oh, my God. Well, you're going to have to listen to me butcher it. <laughs> okay, excellent. I'm not going to read all of it out, but I have some examples. Okay, I look forward to it. Thank you. Anyway, so Tam O'Shanter is a narrative poem by Robert Burns, who was born in 1759 and died in 1796. And it was composed in the November of 1790, six years before his death. So by this point in his life, Burns had already penned many a classic, including To a Mouse in 1785, Addressed to a Haggis in 1786, and that definitive New Year's banger, Old Lang Syne, in 1788. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really going to be going into Robert Burns's history <laughs> today. There's a lot to unpack there, kids. There's a lot to unpack there, kids. Um, yes, because he does have a very, very interesting life and quite a tragic end to his life um but we're not i'm not going into that today because that could probably make quite a good section in itself um he had quite a he didn't have much respect for the women in his life is one thing i shall say as my dear departed grandmother would say he was a whoremaster absolutely (laughs) which is a a very colorful scottish term that means a man that likes the birds. Yeah. So, yeah. there you go. <laughs> there Poor. you go. So, Thomas Shanter was first published in the Edinburgh Herald and Edinburgh Magazine in March 1791, before it appears in the second volume of Antiquities of Scotland by Francis Gross. Or Gross. I don't know how you say his surname. It's... Who knows? And there was no... See, when you said people have complicated surnames and there's no... <laughs> It doesn't tell you how to pronounce them online. So annoying. Anyway, Burns himself had requested that Groves include drawings of the old Kirk and Alloway in the new edition. Groves agreed, but on the condition that Burns compose something to go alongside the sketches. So Burns sets out to pen a new work, one that speaks of superstition, supernatural, and the super-intoxicated. Hmm... So, Tam O'Shanter is written in a combination of both English and Scots, rendering something like a mystic text to those that might be unfamiliar with the sort of guttural, letter-dropping language that was Scots. We, ourselves, the Scottish, can probably be included in that category because it's not something we really speak in anymore, even though... Because he was from, like, Ayrshire... Mm-hmm. which is quite close to us. It's our neck of the woods, technically. Being West Coast, very, I feel like very little remains of kind of your traditional Scots language. Yeah. So it does, it is very hard to read and speak, as you will subsequently find out. <laughs> so the Scots language gradually fell out of use over time. And although artists such as Burns contributed to a revival of the language... It was around the time of the Scottish Enlightenment did figureheads such as Adam Smith and David Hume remove Scotticism from their writings. One could argue English was the language of the intellect. Do you get what I mean? Mm -hmm. So they didn't really write in Scots language anymore. Let's just leave that point there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. Burns' poem is written in iambic tetrameters. Holy heck. Which is, I know, who knew there was more than pentameters? I know. <laughs> there you go. So it's lines of eight or nine syllables with four stressed syllables per line, with the lines arranged in couplets. There'll be some Scottish literature or Scottish language person listening to this going, you're talking nonsense, 
so I apologise to that person, but this is what the internet told me. Yeah, we must believe uh, the internet. <laughs> we must. So this is designed to give the poem a lively, cantering feel, and yes, a horse does feature. So it's a mock epic poem satirising grand works by the likes of Milton or Alighieri, and it tells the story of Tam, whom whilst riding home after an evening of drinking, much to the disdain of his wife, is caught in a storm and comes across something rather sinister going on in a ruined church. Mm -hmm. Hence why it's featuring this week. (laughs) So the second system introduces us to the titular character. And the only reason I'm reading this in Scots is not only because that's how it's written, but actually the English, the full English translation doesn't rhyme necessarily. So yeah, it's really bizarre. It's really bizarre. It's literally like translating it into another language. So you only kind of get the feel if you read it or say it in Scots. So it goes. The truth friend, honest Tam O'Shanter, as he freer a night did canter, all dare, wham near, a town surpasses for honest men and bonny lasses. Again, I say Burns did have an eye for for the ladies in his lifetime. For the women's. So Mr. Tam is something of a frequent drinker and his drinking buddies mock that one day something bad will eventually befall him. That fray November till October, I market day thou was nae sober. That at the Lord's house, even on Sunday, thou drank with Kirkton Jean till Monday. She prophesied that late or soon thou would be found drowned in Dune or catched by warlocks in the murk by Alloway's old haunted kirk. So let's take a little trip to south. To, let's take a little trip south to Alloway to explore this purportedly haunted building, because we do like a ruined church here. We do. We do. <laughs> so Alloway is a village in South Ayrshire, best known as the birthplace of Big Bob Burns himself. The Burns Cottage, which was the poet's home until age seven, is now part of the Robert Burns Birthplace Museum, and it is run and curated by the National Trust for Scotland. The remains of the Old Kirk building suggest that it was constructed sometime in the 16th century, but a stone grave slab that is present on the site dates back to as far as the 12th century. Very old. That's very old. Very old. In fact, close by, there is a well dedicated to St Mungo, suggesting that some form of worship on that site is from an extremely early date. Because I think St. Mungo was knocking about in like the 500s. Yeah. <laughs> He's very old. So the Old Kirk had been abandoned for a significant amount of time. The parish of Alloway merged with Ayr in 1690. And there was an attempt to re-roof the church in 1740, but it proved unsuccessful. And to this day, it still remains in a ruined state. So it is still there. Oh. Yes. So one of the few structures contained within the remaining church walls is that of Mort Safes. Hey, hey, our old friend Mort Safes. <laughs> our old friend Mort Safes. So if, perchance, this is your first episode that you're listening to, or you've skipped a couple, we'll catch you up to speed. To everyone else, please bear with me. <laughs> So these were contraptions created to deter those pesky resurrectionists, rendering access to the grave below impossible. And should you wish to hear a little more on the world of the resurrectionists, have a listen to episodes 13 and 22. Please do. Please do. That round? Yeah. You're back in the game. You're back back in in the game. I've warmed up. (laughs) In the kirkyard, one would find the graves of Burns's father, William, his mother, Agnes, and their daughter, Isabella. And one would also find pictorial headstones. Oh. Yes. So, commonly found throughout the country, some of the finest examples are actually at Alloway Old Kirk. And these carved gravestones depict the person's occupation and often have a carving of an hourglass on them too. So if the hourglass is standing upright, it means the person died of a natural death. 
If it is found lying on its side, however, it means the poor soul died before their time. <gasps> I love How that. How cool is that? That's I did so not cool. know that was a thing. I'm going to go and stare at gravestones now just to see how many have <laughs> glasses. That's now so you cool. know what that means if you ever come across it. Yeah. Yeah. So it is believed that Burns would have played amongst the ruin whilst a child, his head full of tales of witches, ghosts and the supernatural. Burns is known to have been an avid reader of traditional folk tales and songs, and many were told to him by both his mother and Betty Davidson, who was a widow of his mother's cousin, if you get what I mean by that. Widow of his mother's cousin, yes. So her cousin-in-law, <laughs> you could Got you. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> Thank you. So Burns writes in a letter that Davidson is a fountain of knowledge when it comes to the strange and unusual full marks if you get where that little reference is from <laughs> uh, remarking upon her quote ignorance credulity and superstition quite frankly i would have got on well with this woman because she believed in anything and everything and was highly superstitious we'll bring her need back. i say more <laughs> need i say more <laughs> So, a favourite story of Burns was regarding a coven of witches that would gather at the Old Kirk. He actually provided Groves with three tales of witches, two of them he regarded as, quote, authentic. The second of the three would become the basis of Tam O'Shanter, and it goes. A farmer from Carrick travels back from the market, reaching Alloway at, quote, the wizard hour between night and morning. He sees, quote, through the ribs and arches of an old Gothic window which still faces the highway, a dance of witches merrily footing it around. And alerted to the, his presence, the coven swiftly give chase. Mm -hmm. So, there you go. It could also just be the, the, crazy, the crazy gals from the town having a... It could have been that jig. as well. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been. Probably a hen party, to be fair, let's be honest. I mean, we've seen them all. We've seen... <laughs> we have seen them all. Yeah. Oh, God. There's probably not much difference, to be honest. True. Um, so, what, in fact, did Tam see on that fateful evening? Well, in the poem, it goes, When glimmering through the groaning trees, Kirk Alloway seemed in a bleeze. Through El Cabor, the beams were glancing and loud resounded mirth and dancing. So whilst the witches and wizards are having a little shindig in the ruined church, Tam spots some other spooky guests at the macabre party. And mm. because that's right up our street, I thought we'd just list them off. So yeah, again, yeah. bear with me, pals. Do it. <laughs> There's a long, well, we'll a lot. Um, so we've got coffins stood round like open presses that shod the dead in their last dresses. A murder's bands and gibbet urns to a spang lang we unchristened bairns. Dead children. Yeah. A thief new cutted free a rape we his last gasp his gab did gape. A garter which a babe had strangled a knife a father's throat had mangled. Three lawyers' tongues turned inside out, we lies seemed like a beggar's clout. Three, three priests' hearts, rotten, black as muck, lay stinking, vile in every nook. Mm. So it's quite the guest list yeah, at really, Alloway's Old Kirk. <laughs> they had no age limits. They had... <laughs> they covered a lot of bases. They did. They covered all... I think they checked all the spooky boxes yeah, that, for this wee party. Very inclusive very inclusive yeah yeah absolutely that's what we're here for so safe to say that mr burns knew how to paint quite a vivid picture you know with like people's tongues hanging out and dead children and corpses standing up right in their coffin like you know again we love a bit of the gothic imagery yeah yep, yep, yep. <laughs> the classic exactly a fan of the birds however tam gets a wee bit too excited when he spots a woman by the name of nanny getting her ankles out and that's not a euphemism what a scandal what a scandal how dare she flash a wee ankle honestly so it goes till first i caper sign an either tam tint his reason the gither and roars out well done cutty sark and in an instant all was dark now, 
The phrase cutty sark actually translates to mean short nightdress. <laughs> Even oh. though. Yes. So what Burns refers to is the woman removing her outer clothes to reveal her shorter undergarments beneath. However, some of you may be familiar with this phrase from another means. Do you know what I'm going to talk about here? Well, yes, I think so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> talk about a boat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you looked so perplexed. It was very. I was. Funny. I was like, I know this. These two words. I these know two what words. this is. I've heard this before, and I. Yeah, boats. There you go. So Cutty Sark is the name of a British clipper ship built on the River Clyde in Dumbarton. And it was launched on the 22nd of November, 1869. Jock Willis, the owner of the vessel, had another ship in his fleet called the Halloween, which was named after the Burns poem of the same name. Oh. And your fun fact for you, um, a sculptor of Nanny is actually the figurehead of the ship that currently sits at the dry dock down at Greenwich, I think. Is it Greenwich? I want to say it's Greenwich. It's London anyway. <laughs> Down in London. Um, and you can you can visit it now. Caught, Tam and his horse flee. And it goes, So Maggie runs, the witches follow, with many an eldritch screech and hollow. Maggie is the name of his horse, also sometimes reported as Meg, just so everybody knows. Okay. So, Tam and Maggie reach the bridge, the witchy clan in hot pursuit, and Tam says to his horse, Now do thy speedy utmost, Meg, and win the keystay o' the brig. Then at them thou thy tail may toss, a running stream they dare na cross. For why do they dare not cross running water? It is in his telling of the story of the farmer to gross, Burns writes, quote, I need not mention the universally known fact that no diabolical power can pursue beyond the middle of a running stream. So there is actually a common superstition that evil and or supernatural beings cannot cross running water. It is believed, this is quite apt to last week actually, it is believed that this belief stems from water being the source of life, or perhaps more simply, Back in the days without taps and sinks, running water was better to live near than stagnant water. The former would carry away any harmful content, whereas stagnant water was more likely to breed bacteria and thus be a source of disease. Yes, Edinburgh, take note. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, God. So... Tam and Maggie just manage to get themselves over the bridge, but not before Nanny snatches herself a wee souvenir. I spring brought off her master's hail, but left behind her ain grey tail. The carlin clots her by the rump and left poor Maggie scarce a stump. Poor so Maggie. poor Maggie loses her hair, her tail, her, the, ha- the hair of her tail. <laughs> It's caught by uh, Nanny, the perceived witch of the tale. Now, what are you going to do with that, Nanny? String up a bow for a violin? It's a bit cruel. Now, some might suggest that Nanny had ulterior motives in taking poor Maggie's tale, as horsehair, believe it or not, comes with its own set of superstitions with regards to witches. Interesting. That is a thing. So it is said that wearing the, ta- the tail hair from a black stallion as a bracelet or braiding a horse's tail with ribbons can act as protection against witches. Okay, so snap that tail off. Snap that tail off. You've got no protection. And going to be no use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you could see where Nanny was thinking about. Yeah, okay. Fair play, Nanny. So there you go. Fair play. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Um, but also, who knew that horsehair had its own set of superstitions? I certainly didn't. Well, there you go. I aim to teach. Yeah. Here we be. Here we be. Which is interesting because that's putting me in mind of Dance Macabre is one of my favourite pieces of music. A fantastic uh, piece of music. Yes. And the devil's playing his fiddle. He is. And of course, a fiddle's bow is made with horsehair. Very true. 
Although that would then be warding off witches, and surely he'd be inviting them over for the party. Well, no, well, the tail, but the horse's hair is not on the horse. Oh, so the ho- does it have to be attached to be well, yes. beneficial? <laughs> Got you. Got you. <laughs> if you're braiding it, yes. But also, I'm pretty sure if you were wearing the hair around your wrist, you wouldn't cut off all the hair. You'd just take a wee snigget That's and then true. braid it and then yeah, wear okay. it. So I okay. believe hair has to be attached to horses but for it to be effective okay okay i haven't i'm not familiar <laughs> with the terms and conditions but that's good to know always read the small print yeah <laughs> so what bridge did tam and maggie leap across to get themselves to safety well that would be the brigodoon its name literally translating as the bridge over river dune you'll find with the scots language we just like dropping words yeah <laughs> Because it's easier. So this bridge, despite appearing perfectly picturesque, has literal built-in protection against witches. And I'm not even kidding. I mean, in real life. I'm not even talking about the poem. Okay. Yeah. So the cobbled roadway is cranked. And this bended design, it actually stems from the ancient belief that it would deter witches from crossing it. Because they can't be bothered with the... Clearly, witches can only walk in straight lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> can't bother with the curves. Um, can't be bothered. But I do find that very, very fascinating. That that when that bridge was constructed, they thought about warding off witches. You can never be when too they were safe. Making it. You can never be too safe. I mean, I have the cheek to be mocking here. Yeah. Come on. Um, so the bridge would also provide the name for the 1947 Lerner and Low musical Brigadoon. Although it has absolutely nothing to do with the bridge itself, however, as the action takes place in a fictional village in the Scottish Highlands and the real Brigadoon is located in the Lowlands of Ayrshire. So, no connection. I'm presuming they just thought it was a cool word. So, despite Tam making it to safety by the skin of his teeth, Burns leaves us with a little wisdom, suggesting that we should not follow in the man's footsteps. Now, while this tale of truth shall read, Elk man and mother's son take heed, Whene'er to drink you are inclined, Or cutty sarks run in your mind. Think, you may buy joy or dear, Remember Tam O'Shanter's mare. And that is the tale of Tam O'Shanter. I love it. Yay! We did, <laughs> we did Tam O'Shanter in music. I believe. Oh, cool. In first or second year, I think it was. Yeah. And why we would be doing it in music, I don't know. If, unless it was that there was a piece of music that was based on Tam O'Shanter. There could, there could be. Um, the poem itself is quite musical, so it might have been set to music, for all I know. Yeah, but I just remember really, really enjoying it at the time. Yeah. And also just that very, very last night line, um, the Tam O'Shanter's mayor... Mm-hmm. That I enjoy that that could be his nightmare or indeed his horse. Indeed, that is very, very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which could mean that the whole poem's actually about his good, his nice horse. It could. <laughs> and how he, she helped the escape. Absolutely, yes. She definitely played a big role. Or it could just be that he had a strange, he, she, he just had a strange nightmare where all these things happened. Well, exactly. Well, that's the thing, because the way but the way the poem is written, because it's it's very long, in its entire in its entirety, it um, which is fair, because it's based on epic poetry. It's quite it's quite hazy, and he is very very drunk. So, <laughs> it's written in such a way it's supposed to kind of like give the effect of that kind of haziness of yeah. not being fully aware of your surroundings and all that like everything that comes along with being drunk uh so yeah you could look at both ways that he, this did really happen to him or he was just hallucinating like hell because he drank a lot of the whiskey yeah <laughs> it's not unheard of here in scotland it's not unheard of you're not wrong yeah but um yeah it's just it's a good classic piece of sort of mm-hmm. gothic scottish literature and yeah, it ticks all the spooky boxes. And we love a spooky box. And we love a horse. We love a, a we love a an animal coming through story. We love that. We do enjoy that. We don't we don't like animals being placed in danger. So when the 
the animal's a hero and wins we're very happy about that and don't worry meg your tail will grow back exactly you'll be fine you'll be fine it'll be swishing about before you know it yeah when you clip clop about the place when you (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly like that Uh, also thank you for pronouncing old lang sign correctly thank you did i Mm -hmm. (laughs) you did if people say old lang sign that's incorrect so i said it right thank you very much you said sign which is correct yeah thank you i aim to please yes i feel like i've achieved today (laughs) that's my psa for the day if you're singing the new year's song and you say sign you're incorrect so fix it i don't know why you do that because it's not a Z. You often hear it on TV or in films when people are singing it and you're like, it's not right. Sign. (laughs) It's not right. It's an S, not a Z. (laughs) You wouldn't call someone Zyman. That's a very good point. You wouldn't say that. Zyman Cowell. No thanks. (laughs) So, Zara. um, Susan. Yeah. I mean, I'm coming up with some excellent names, but they're you not... are coming up with some excellent names. But... <laughs> they start with Zeds. <laughs> Could have called my firstborn Susan. Oh God. As always, please pop along to our Instagram and our Facebook. Give us likes and follows there. We post all of our corresponding photos up there every week, and it just gives you a nice little visual to go along with the story, along with our. Magic Hat Mondays where you can give your responses to our questions. Our We Love a Link Wednesdays where we join links between different stories that we've told. And of course, Fun Fact Friday where you will learn some kind of fun Scottish fact. If you happen to have a question for the Magical Hat, if you either email us or message us it over, it will be written down on a little sheet of paper, folded up and go straight into the hat where it may feature on future episodes. Also, if you happen to own an Apple device, if you could head on over to that little purple logo of Apple Podcasts and leave us a little review, it would be much appreciated and helps us in the massive podcast algorithm of the world. And thank you for listening to A Wee Bit Gothic. Was that gothic? A wee bit. <laughs>